to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. In Psalm 19, the Word of God says, The heavens and earth bear witness to the glory of God. Hi, Alex McFarland here. This is another edition of Truth and Liberty Live. We've got a very great show. And when the Bible repeatedly talks about God the Creator, and God is the sovereign over this universe, we didn't evolve accidentally. It wasn't blind, undirected chance. It wasn't happenstance. But according to the Word of God, and really common sense itself, and just histories all around the world, all culture groups have what we call a creation story or a creation narrative. Uh, What we know is that this world was intentionally created by God, and that God has omnipotence, that means all power, omniscience, uh, all knowledge, but God acted and intentionally created. In other words, this creator is a personal God. Well, on this program, we're going to talk about why the subject of creation matters. We're going to talk about apologetics in general. We've got with us a great guest uh, to, to learn from, and later on in the program, we'll take your calls and questions. Now, this is a very special day. Uh, much of the world is observing Halloween. Uh, it's October 31, but you know what? As a Christian, we have great cause to celebrate October 31 because 506 years ago today, a very special thing happened in Germany. Now, the Spirit of God was moving throughout Europe, and there were a lot of people in a lot of places that were beginning to feel the, the, the pull of God and were being influenced by the Scriptures. But Martin Luther in Wittenberg, Germany, nailed a document to the door of the church. It was called the 95 Thesis, but it was basically 95 grievances. He was basically saying, look, we've deviated from the true gospel. It was Jesus and faith in Jesus and what he did on Calvary's cross that makes it possible for us to be saved. And thus was unleashed something that the history books call the Reformation. And so as we begin this very special edition of Truth and Liberty, I want to say to God be the glory, and I want to thank all of you for watching on this Reformation Day, because folks, again, we need a Reformation. And just like the Reformers, they would cry, sola scriptura, Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone. We need to get back to the truth of the gospel again, not only salvation, but creation. And helping us to drill down deeply and talk about this is my guest tonight, Jay Siegert. I first heard Jay speak in Iowa last summer. It was a lot warmer. It was a number of months ago, but I was so impressed. Uh, He has degrees in physics and engineering. He's a brilliant thinker. He's a great communicator, especially with young people. But Jay, I want to thank you for being with us tonight on Truth and Liberty. Folks, you'll have an opportunity to ask questions in just a few moments. But Jay, even more importantly, thanks for what you're doing for the body of Christ and your courageous, compelling stand for the gospel. May God bless you, and I welcome you, Jay, to Truth and Liberty. 
Well, it is certainly an honor to be on the program, and I'm really looking forward to whatever we discuss. God will direct our conversation. It should be very, very encouraging to all the listeners. Well, uh, amen. I was on your website earlier, uh, start, the Starting Point Project, and I was looking at your calendar, and you've got some speaking engagements coming up and uh, some in Minnesota. Now, now, where is your home, if I might ask, Jay? I'm in southeast Wisconsin, about a half an hour west of Milwaukee, but travel all over the country. I had a, a spell where I was gone 36 out of 40 days, just all over the place, uh, but mainly in the U.S., but I've spoken in nine other countries as well, and I'm trying to wind down a little bit. A number of years ago, I was up to about 190 talks a year, and I was working hard at slowing it down, and this year it'll be, I think, 214, so I haven't crafted it yet, but I'm pretty sure that's a higher number, so I think I'm headed in the wrong direction, but it's just an honor to be given the opportunities to speak truth into other people's lives, especially as crazy as things are. We have more and more opportunities. We'll, we'll never be unemployed. Well, you know, one thing I've learned about being an evangelist and Christian speaker, and especially in apologetics, uh, there, there's just no slowing down. You know, literally 20 years ago, Josh McDowell, I'm sure you probably know Josh, right? Well, yeah, uh, I, met, I met him. At a conference in, in uh, was actually was a Chuck Missler conference that was in Coeur d'Alene, but the last time they had it was in Colorado Springs, and Josh McDowell was there, and it, Josh is Josh, and I got a picture with him. I told him, I said, you look like Evil Knievel. He had this white jean jacket on and white jeans and some Captain, it was Captain America badge, but he looked like Evil Knievel, and yeah. he got a kick out of that. But yeah, he's he's been going strong for many years. Yeah. And, and folks, if you're new to like biblical worldview and the apologetics ministry, defending the faith, I mean, Josh McDowell is just one of the giants. But 20 years ago, we were in an event together and he told me, he said, you know, I'm going to retire by the end of 2008. And I said, really? And uh, anyway, he's going stronger than ever. So are you, Jay. And uh but because we've got a mission, and let's just start right here. Um, you know, the thing, whether it's speaking or traveling or broadcasting or, or researching and writing, the fact that God exists, God has created, God can be known, the tomb is empty, Jesus, the Son of God, made it possible for us to be born again. I mean, the, these are realities that drive us and make it worth giving giving everything we've got. Uh, would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how you could possibly think of something more important than sharing our faith with others. Uh, I've often used the analogy, um, actually two things. One is when we don't share our faith with others, it says one of two things. Either we ourselves don't really believe it, and that's why we're not telling anyone else. Or secondly, we we do believe it. We just don't care enough about them to want them to know. Either of those are good options. The other, more of a visual uh, impact, and this, I'm not saying this happens literally, but it's just very impactful when you think through it. I usually ask my audiences to think of someone they know very well that they're convinced is not a Christian. They're not saved. They don't know Christ. And mm -hmm. I said, now imagine through some freak accident, you both pass away same time, and now you're standing in a long line before the gate to get into heaven. Again, doesn't necessarily technically work that way, but so you're in line with your friend, and they're in front of you. 
and they finally get up to the gate and God looks your friend in the eye and says, why should I let you into my heaven? And they go through the typical response of, well, you know, I was a pretty good person. I didn't really murder anyone. And, you know, I didn't really go to church, but you know, I had two jobs. I was working hard and on and on and on. They, they give a defense of why they really weren't that bad of a person. And then God looks at them and says, depart uh, eternal torment. I never knew you. Their head mm -hmm. goes down, they're walking away. And now you're next. You go up and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? And you probably would say, you know, I certainly don't deserve to be here. However, you sent your son to die on a cross to pay for my sins so that I could gain entrance into heaven with you for eternity. And God says, enter into eternity. So you're walking in and now your friend turns around and sees you walking in and said, well, wait a minute, where, where are you going? You say, well, I'm, I'm going into heaven. Well, how did you get in? Well, I, I had placed my trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins while I was on earth. And then your friend says, you knew that was the solution and you never told me? And then what are you going to say? Well, I didn't want you to think I was judging you. I didn't want you to get mad at me. I didn't want you to laugh at me. You know, so you're in a sense risking their eternity, not that they don't have a responsibility. They do. But why wouldn't we share independent of how they might respond? So I just think the time is more important than ever. The time is shorter than ever. That's what we need to be focused on is sharing that gospel message. And the more you know about your own faith with apologetics, the more confident you are not to go out and win an argument, but to go out and confidently share the gospel message, knowing if tough questions come up, there are answers. Even if you don't remember the details, you can get back to them. And that's why we do what we do. Sure. Uh, Jay, let me ask you this. Um, on the apologetics worldview side of things, what do you think is the, the the greatest impediment to people believing in the gospel? Let's talk about young people, because you and I work a lot with teens, college age, 20-somethings. Among, you know, let's say high school and young adults, what is the greatest hindrance to the gospel? Yeah, I, I think it's for this generation is they're all about feelings and personal experiences. And so that's why all the social issues are having such an impact with transgenderism and gay marriage and wokeism and cancel culture and all those things that are being thrown our way. It's not that any one of those is too difficult to deal with. It's that they are overwhelming the system. There's too many of them. I have a PowerPoint slide that I throw up and all these things come up on the screen and we are overwhelmed with that. And so when you try to talk to a youth today about truth, they're told there really isn't any truth. It's, you know, what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. And they go by their feelings. And if they feel, if they don't do what they're told to do with the marching orders from society, from those who are in authority, especially from science or whatever, if they don't do that, then they're being shamed because apparently they don't know anything about truth and science they don't care about others that if they don't do what they're told to do, others might be harmed or even die because of them not, whatever it is, you know, wearing a mask, mm -hmm. doing this, doing that. So they're very much about experiences, not wanting to feel bad, not wanting to be the only one going against the system or swimming upstream. And so it really all comes back down to what is truth? What is reality? How do we determine truth? And I often ask skeptics and youth, what, what makes more sense logically? that when we die, if we were to stand before God, and most people do believe there is a God, you know, some people are atheists, Amen. but most sense there's probably some kind of God. So you ask, what makes more sense when you die and you stand before God, that he will judge you based on eh, whatever standard you came up with, 
or would he judge you on his own standard? And every single skeptic I've talked to has admitted it makes more sense that God would use his own standard. I said, I, I agree with that. So then it would be very, very important to figure out what that is. And then just the short version is the Bible actually makes the claim that it is the inspired word of God, that it is God's standard for mankind. Now, I could write a book tonight making all those claims. I just couldn't back it up. But the Bible gives us ways to test it and to see that, yeah, it really is the word of God portraying why he created us, what happened to his creation, his plan to fix it, and what happens to us when we die. All of that's in there. So I start with that as a foundation where it makes sense to them that, yeah, God would use his own standard. Okay, so let's take a few moments, and then you talk about how would we know what God's standard is. So that, I think, is the biggest impediment right now is they have no basis for truth. Everything is feelings. And then, so do we go with your feelings or someone else mm -hmm. over there 30 feet from both of us that neither of us know? They have feelings too. So do we go with their feelings or your feelings? And it ends up being a can of worms. Yeah. And, you know, doesn't it seem, Jay, like th there are a lot of things in life that, uh, if, if we're wise, should remind us of the reality of our accountability to God. You're right. God judges us by his standard. And, and, you know, whenever somebody says to me, well, I'm not such a bad person. Come on, you know, Alex, I mean, I've never robbed a bank. Uh, all in all, compared to the next guy, I'm pretty good. But the standard is not, quote, the next guy. Compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're all unrighteous. He's perfectly righteous. And I, I think about this, like when, um, you know, if you're going to get your car fixed, uh, you can't just say, oh, well, you know, I'll turn this, I'll turn this wrench, it ought to work. No, you've got an owner's manual. A car, an engine has to be tuned up to the manufacturer's specifications. You know, when you do your taxes on April 15th, uh, you don't just do it how you feel like doing it. The IRS has bulletins they put out, and if you want to stay out of jail, you better do your taxes the way the Internal Revenue says do it. On and on I could go, but here's the thing. Plenty of life is about preferences. One day you have a hamburger, one day you eat vegetables, you know, whatever. But so much of life is absolute. It's not about your opinion. It's not about your preferences. It's about truth. There's that which is right, that which is wrong, that which passes, that which fails. And Jay, I, I think these are little reminders that every last one of us should be prepared for that ultimate moment. You, you alluded to Matthew 7, 21 through 24, where Christ says to so many, I never knew you. I mean, all of life is really uh, preparing us for that time that we face God, isn't it? It is. I mean, everyone who's here now agrees there was a beginning. You know, the, the universe yeah. began somehow, even the, even the atheistic scientists you know, they talk, they used to talk about the universe being eternal, and they mainly did that to get around the problem of how do you have a creation without a creator or a beginning without a beginner. But when they said it was eternal, then you don't need that. Well, the more they looked at science, the more they realized that doesn't cut it. So even atheistic scientists typically believe the universe had a beginning. And if you bring God into the picture, which most people do, there's a reason for everything being here and there would be a reason for the middle of the story and there would be an ending as well and the bible 
talks a lot about that, but I think one of the problems we have in society too is that the church, not making too big of a blanket statement here, but in large has taken scripture and cut off the beginning and the end. You don't talk mm. much about creation because that's kind of controversial. It's going to upset people. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. And then you cut off the end. You don't want to talk about end time events because that's kind of out there and people are going to think, uh, you know, the beast and the antichrist. So you just do some happy Jesus stories in the middle. Well, that doesn't cut it for a foundation or truth. God's word is inspired from cover to cover. And long before Jesus was savior, he was creator. There's a reason yeah. for the beginning. And Jesus said, no one knows the exact time of his return. But he says, when you see these certain things happening, know that it's close. So we ought to be using that as a stepping stone to talk to skeptics and ask them, where do you think this is all headed? How it's, How is it going to wind up? And what happens to you specifically when you die? And let them share. And that's a skill we've lost too, is actually listening to the other person, finding out what is it that they actually believe? How do they come to that conclusion? And why are they confident that that's actually accurate? Usually it's pretty fuzzy as to how they came to that other than, well, they heard this or heard that. And how do they know it's true? That gets even fuzzier. And after they've had a chance to share, now you're better positioned to know where they're coming from, to know other follow-up questions. And then at some point, it only makes sense that you would say, hey, thanks for sharing that. Here's where I'm coming from. And then you can share what scripture has to say. Sure. Hey, folks, if you're just tuning in, Alex McFarland here. It's Truth and Liberty. We're talking with Jay Siegert of the Starting Point Project. Now, take this number down because in about 10 minutes, we're going to get to your phone calls and questions. Here's the number, folks, 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341. Any and all questions are on the table tonight. Uh, don't be shy. You can ask if you've got an apologetics or biblical worldview question. Jay, I, I want to ask you this. Um, in terms of evolution, you know, the mid-1800s, Darwin uh, comes along and he publishes uh, On the Origin of Species, The Descent of Man. Uh, how big uh, of, a, of an obstacle do you think evolution has become in, in terms of Christianity? Um, is, you know, in, in a way, I mean, people think about, this is what a lot of preachers will say to me. They'll say, well, you know, I preach the gospel. I preach the empty tomb. I, I just don't touch on creation, the flood. That's controversial. I just keep it about Jesus, Alex. That's what they'll often tell me. But I want to ask you, Jay, how, how significant of an obstacle to belief in God and Christianity, has Darwinian evolution been? Well, it's been a huge factor, but there's it goes deeper than that. It's interesting that, like you said, I admit, and that's been my experience, many pastors say, we're just here to focus on Jesus. We don't want to muddy the waters by getting into the details of Genesis and all that. Well, the foundation for that gospel message is rooted back in Genesis. Every major doctrine we believe is rooted in the book of Genesis. What's fascinating is 2 Peter chapter 3, written by Peter almost 2,000 years ago, Peter's talking about the last days, the end yeah. times, which most of us feel we're living in. So Peter, 2,000 years ago, is talking about the last days, and he's specifically referring to the skeptics who are doubting the return of Christ. And mm. Peter says there are two major factors that are causing them to doubt the return of Christ. Now, you would probably think, 
these two factors have to be spiritual things because the return of Christ is certainly a spiritual thing. But that's not what Peter says. Peter says the two things that are causing skeptics of our day to doubt the return of Christ is that they're rejecting the creation account and they're rejecting the Genesis flood. When I first read that, I got excited because I like talking about creation and the flood. But yeah. I didn't ask myself, like, what's the connection? And then it hit me. It's so obvious. By rejecting the Genesis creation account, people are rejecting God as the ultimate authority. He gets to set the rules. They don't like yeah. that. Secondly, by rejecting the Genesis flood, what is that? The Genesis flood was God's judgment on sin. But these people, they're not sinners. They're good people. So they reject God's judgment. Well, what's the return of Christ? It's another judgment. Peter says by fire the second time, not by water. And what's interesting, Peter said that 2,000 years ago. And today, every single secular scientist rejects the Genesis creation account, and they reject the Genesis flood. Sadly, Many Christians also reject the Genesis creation account and the flood. Oh, they'll say, yes, God's the creator, but we don't know how he created or when. It doesn't matter at all. And there might not have been a worldwide flood because the secular geologists don't believe there's any evidence for it. So when we read it, maybe it was just a local flood or just a story or whatever. So Christ, even Christians water down the authority of God's word, which waters down the foundation for the gospel message. And one other thing really quick because people come down pretty hard on Darwin, but we have to realize that Darwin did not write the origin of species in a vacuum. He didn't yeah. wake up one day planning to play tennis, but it was raining out. So he said, oh, I'll write the origin of species. What happened was, this is a very, very short version. Two guys prior to him, James Hutton and Charles Lyell. James yeah. Hutton, is, they lived back to back. When James Hutton died, Charles Lyell was born. James Hutton is considered the father of modern geology, and he stated that when you look at the physical features of the earth, you must, must limit yourself to just natural causes that we see happening today. Peter refers to that as well, that everything goes on the way it always has from the beginning of creation. No major catastrophes, just smooth natural processes. It's technically, it's called uniformitarianism. So slow right. natural processes. Well, if you have to limit yourself to those processes to form Mount Everest and Grand Canyon, that would take a long time. So in their minds, the earth wasn't created by God more recently. It was millions and millions and millions of years of natural history. And then Charles Lyell, who came along, piggybacked on that, wrote a three-volume series called Principles of Geology. And his goal in writing that was to free the science from Moses. Get away from Genesis. Everything has to be natural causes. The church, in part, bought into that and said, wow, we, we missed something. We have to go back at Genesis and reinterpret it. So skip it for now, but we got into the day-age theory and the gap theory to try to fit in these newly discovered millions of years, which weren't discovered. They were a necessity if you change your worldview. Then Darwin came along, took the first volume of Charles Lyell on the Beagle's voyage and said, if these guys could explain the physical features of the earth by slow natural processes over these newly discovered millions and millions of years, maybe he, Darwin, could explain living things through natural processes over millions and millions of years. So he writes The Origin of Species. He was kind of hacked off at God at the time. He lost a daughter at a young age. He was initially trained as a theologian, uh, but then he took a big turn, writes the origin of species, trying to explain everything apart from God. So that's just a little nutshell, a history sure. lesson of what was going on at Darwin's sure. time. Right. And, and you know, um, 
Jay, have you read about the accusations that Darwin plagiarized much of his work? There was a man named Patrick Matthew, and I, I'm reading a book right now. Now, folks, get this. Imagine embracing a worldview that rejects God as creator, really rejects humanity as being a special intentional creation, ultimately rejects truth for just personal opinion. But here, is, so Darwinism is a lie. I believe evolutionism, secularism, materialism, Darwinism, it's all false. But how tragic, uh, Jay, doubly tragic, to go to hell for believing a lie but a plagiarized lie at that. I'm reading a book right now. It's not a Christian book at all. It's a secular, it was a guy's PhD dissertation. And in a pretty compelling fashion, he documents that Charles Darwin, who said to some close friends that he wanted to be famous for some scientific discovery, but Darwin actually plagiarized another secular scientist named Patrick Matthew, are you are you familiar with this theory at all? Yeah, there's. Uh, I think it goes even deeper than that. He got some things from his grandfather, so it really wasn't a lot of his own unique ideas, and it doesn't even hold up to modern scrutiny. So, independent of where it came from, it's really not even scientifically valid today. But unfortunately, many Christians have morphed it into the Bible. And whenever they put the two together, it's always scripture that gives way to make room for the secular ideas. I think John 12, I think it's 42 and 43, said many people believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't confess him or profess him for fear of the Pharisees kicking him out of the, the, the synagogue because they enjoy the praise of man more than the praise of God. So many Christian leaders today, they say, well, you know, evolution, it sounds like they've proven it. I don't want to be accused of rejecting science. So, yeah, we'll just say that's how God did it. But it doesn't do service at all to, to the authority of God's word. And there's a lot of contradictions if you try to squeeze evolution in there. Uh, what, Jay, what is meant by the term theistic evolution? Theistic evolution is a term that's been used for a while. Some are trying to get away from it and calling it evolutionary creation. It's the same thing. Theistic, yeah. meaning God, and then evolution, that God used evolution in his process, and most people who would be considered theistic evolutionists take evolution almost exactly as is, and they just say, that's God's process. They might throw God in there a little bit more and say, okay, well, maybe chemicals didn't come alive 3.8 billion years ago. Maybe God kind of helped that. And God maybe called the universe into existence through a big bang, and then eventually evolution took over billions of years later. But it was a natural process happening over long periods of time, and God just kind of oversaw the whole thing to make sure it turned out the way he wanted it. The two don't fit together for so many reasons. You're taking a very bad scientific idea, evolution, putting it into scripture, and now you really would have errors and contradictions and problems in the Bible when you try to do that. Mm. And, and like you say, whenever anybody tries to harmonize secularism and atheism with Christianity, I mean, they're, they're irreconcilable. But whenever people do try to shoehorn them together, it's always Scripture and Christianity that gets cut apart and trimmed down, not secularism. That's a great observation. Hey, give us your website. And folks, we've got a break. And when we come back, we're going to go to questions. But Jay, how can people find you online? Sure. It's the starting point project 
thestartingpointproject.com. So thestartingpointproject.com. Okay. Lots of free. Most of our resources are free. Right now, we got at least 34 videos up there that are free for streaming and wow. a lot of other great resources as well. We do Grand Canyon tours, which we could talk about later if you want to. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that. Thestartingpointproject.org or .com? .com. .com. The starting point project.com. Well, folks, the number is 719-619-2341. By the way, truthandliberty.net, we put a lot of content up there. You ought to subscribe. Richard Harris is posting content a lot up there. I've got articles that I'm submitting. Truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. Stay tuned. We're back after this. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. created with a purpose, written in the heart of God, long before you were born. He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Hey everybody, Richard Harris here. I wanted to let you know that the Truth and Liberty live call-in show is now on Twitter. You can watch us there at 3.30 Mountain Time, 5.30 Eastern Time, five days a week. Just go and follow us on Twitter at Truth and Liberty Co. That's C-O. And remember, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So don't miss out. Watch us live on Twitter. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty, Alex McFarland. By the way, we've got such a, a wonderful program here that God has raised up. I just want to commend Andrew Womack and Richard Harris for having this vision. And you know what, folks? Uh, go to truthandliberty.net. The shows are archived. What a joy it was. I was on Friday interviewing the actor Kevin Sorbo, and he was talking about what it's like to be a Christian in Hollywood, and now tonight with Jay Siegert, talking about creation uh, apologetics, biblical worldview. You know, Jay, uh, and we're going to go to questions, folks, but the thing that excites me, it's like you mentioned 2 Peter chapter 3. I've always loved 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, but Peter says regarding the gospel, we have not followed cleverly devised fables. I mean, isn't that exciting? I mean, this this thing, folks, God created, God loves you. Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. You can put your faith in Jesus and be born again and not only go to heaven when you leave this world, you can live an incredibly rich, meaningful life that counts for eternity in this world. Jay, doesn't it just thrill your heart and empower you to know, like 2 Peter 1.16, that we have not followed fables. I mean, this is reality. That's exciting, isn't it? It is. It, I mean, it drives me every day. I've been speaking on these things for 38 years now, and I'm just getting warmed up. 
And it's also at the same time, extremely humbling. I mean, the more I get to know who God is and his creation and what he's done, I, I don't know why he lets me breathe. I always say, if I were God, I would have smashed me a long time ago, mm. but it's just, I'm proof of his graciousness. It, it's amazing. And so I use that excitement and energy to convey that to other people because not because I want to win an argument, I want them to be exposed to the same truth that has transformed my life. And it's going to be up to them what they do with the information. I'm not there to twist their arm or anything, but I'm excited about it. And what a difference that is versus just being what I call a fax machine, <laughs> um, not yeah. a copier machine, but spewing out facts. When yeah. I first got started, I was yeah. a fax machine. And I thought if people knew what I just learned, they'd say, oh, I guess I'm wrong. Let me go to church and worship Jesus. It did not work that way. We are dealing with a spiritual issue. And I need to keep that in mind as I share with people. So first, I try to get to know them and show them you know, that I really care about who they are and want them to be exposed to this exciting truth of God's word. And you also need to take them from a position where when they think about God or Christianity or church, their views are usually pretty skewed, and it's based on not so much what they know, but what someone else told them, that the yeah. Bible is filled with errors and contradictions, science has disproven it, there's all these different versions out there, there's missing pieces, extra stuff, and on and on, and if you really want truth, you got to go to science for that, so that's their worldview. So when I come and approach them, I need to understand that's where they're coming from. And I need to dismantle some of those things very graciously to help them understand that science is not contradiction to the Bible. True science always um, supports what we learn in scripture. And we can share Amen. some of that a little bit later too. I'll, some of the things that are just confusing secular scientists, if you're a Christian, you're like, hey, surprise, that's exactly what we would expect because that's what God's word has told us a long time ago. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, the number, folks, is 719-619-2341. Hey, by the way, Raleigh, North Carolina, I'm going to be there Thursday night at uh, Crabtree Valley Mall. Now, that's this Thursday, November 2nd. Uh, the Christian bookstore in the mall is Mon, M-O-N, Mon Christian Bookstore. And I'll be signing copies 7 p.m. of my brand new book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families. And so if you happen to be in the Raleigh area, I would love to meet you, Truth and Liberty uh, listeners. And please spread the word. Um, I was just talking with... Um, uh, Monica, I think her last name is Burnett, the owner of the store. She's very excited, very gracious, and it's right there in just one of the biggest malls in the Southeast, Crabtree Valley Mall. That's this Thursday night, Raleigh, North Carolina. I'll be signing books. I would love to meet you, Truth and Liberty audience, and so we'll re-remind you of that again. But right now, we're going to go and get some questions. We're going to begin in Missouri just uh, one of the most beautiful states I've ever seen. Elizabeth in Missouri, thanks for holding, and welcome to this special edition of Truth and Liberty. Well, thank you for taking my call, and thank you for the compliment on our state. I think it's beautiful, too. Um, it, it is, I, and I want to say thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks also for being a subscriber. I know you're a subscriber to truthandliberty.net, and we thank you. Yes, I love it. Thank you. Um, my question was, I had thought some years ago that I had information that Darwin had renounced the theory of evolution, either on his death, deathbed or his latter years. And I wondered if that was true and if you would know if he accepted Jesus at that time. I just couldn't remember. 
Great Jay. question. That's one of those things that circulates quite a bit. Uh, unfortunately, there's really no evidence that that ever happened. And the thing that I would add to that, it's it's one of those things that could be exciting. And Christians, they forward these emails and all of a sudden they kind of end up with egg on their face because it turns out to be not true. But let's take it just a step further very briefly. Let's say that actually did happen. Would that mean that evolution is false? No, it just means that one guy changed his mind. It's just like if a Christian today all of a sudden claims they're an atheist, that doesn't mean there is no God. And the Bible is not true. That means one person changed their mind. So it would make for an interesting story if that had happened, but there's really no actual historical evidence that he had changed his mind on his deathbed. And even if he did, it would just be an interesting story. It wouldn't say anything about the validity of, of evolution. Yeah. You, you know, Jay and Elizabeth, this is a really good question. Jay, I had read some years ago that um, a relative circulated that story and basically wrote a little tract trying to say that Darwin had recanted on his deathbed because it really was an embarrassment. Because think about this, folks. And, and I want to mention there's a book by a very renowned historian named A.N. Wilson, and it's a book called God's Funeral. But it's basically like even within Darwin's lifetime, uh, as evolution spread through Europe, people connected the dots. They knew that Darwinism meant atheism. And, and so one family member spread the story of Darwin's alleged conversion, which really didn't happen. But they, they were scandalized. They were embarrassed that basically Charles Darwin had really given a huge shot of adrenaline to atheism and unbelief. But um, the, the idea that Darwinism really is an atheistic worldview, that, that spread pretty quickly throughout the late 19th century up to the present day, didn't it, Jay? It did. I mean, if you think of people back then that were skeptics and didn't didn't think very highly of the concept of God or Bible or Christianity, they didn't really have enough reason to reject God. But I think it was Dawkins that said um, Darwin made it uh, scientifically comfortable for being an atheist. It made it more comfortable because there was evidence, supposedly. I, I don't think there's actually evidence there. But for anyone who was looking for an excuse to reject God, they had one because now Darwin supposedly came along and said, we don't need a creator. We don't need any of that. The Bible's wrong. Science will give us the answers. And here, here we have his idea of evolution and they've piggybacked on it ever since they found lots of problems with it. But basically today, most scientists know there are huge problems with evolution, but they don't want to individually take a stand because they could lose their position, their job. They could lose grant money. They could lose a teaching position. They won't get published anymore. So most of them know there are huge problems with the idea of Darwinian evolution, but they just think, well, you just have to kind of go along with the system. I don't want to be the only one rejecting it. And maybe others have found the answers. I don't know what the answers are, but somebody probably has. So they actually have faith that there are answers out there when there really aren't. Uh, wow. Uh, yes, I want to circle back to that. But Elizabeth, that's a great question. Did you have uh, anything else you wanted to ask, uh, Jay? Uh, no, I think that covered it. But I, I did want to say that when I first um, had my spiritual awakening some years ago, I was listening to a program on the radio about evolution. A Christian, it was a Christian program, and I was muddling that over in my mind and the Lord spoke to me and he said, as long as you have any belief 
in uh, evolution, your weak, your witness is weak. I just remembered that as as this program came on, him speaking very clearly to me about that. Mm, wow. Yeah. Um, and I, I had that same, Jay, when I was in college, I was 21 when I got born again and I trusted Jesus. And then, I don't know, it was maybe a couple of months, I was at church and I was listening to the pastor teach on creation and it dawned on me I'm like wait a minute if if God created uh, then what I was being taught in science class was false you know uh, and I realized at 21 years old that uh, the book of Genesis and the writings of Darwin could not be uh, harmonized I was and you know for me and and I guess I've just been very blessed to believe the Bible, uh, I, I've just always believed the Bible and gone through much, much, much post-secondary education. But, um, you know, man is fallible. God is infallible. Man can make mistakes. God in his word cannot make a mistake. And But for so many people, it, it doesn't come that easily, does it, Jay? No, it's, it's a hard road to toe. And I I have to keep that in mind when I talk to a skeptic, realizing where they're coming from, what they believe, which is largely premised on, again, not detailed knowledge. It's based on what they've heard over and over and over. So if someone like me comes along and gives them a different narrative, I expect them to think that I might be completely nuts because they're like, how could what I be sharing be true in the light of what they've heard year after year after year? So I usually tell them, I know what it is that you've been taught. I, I understand that very well, but let me just challenge a few of those things as to why it it loses its foundation when you really examine it, because most people take it for granted. And just very short example, there was a cover of Time Magazine a few years ago, had a picture of a dinosaur on it, and the title was um, The Truth about dinosaurs. Now, it's captivating in and of itself. It's going to get your attention. Okay, the truth about dinosaurs. So what are they implying? Inside, you're going to learn the truth. And there was a subtitle on the cover, which surprised me. I thought, I don't think they thought through this very deeply. So it was truth about dinosaurs. The subtitle was surprise, just about everything you believe is wrong. So mm. now that's going to hook the reader even more. It's like, I don't want to be wrong. Apparently, I'm wrong about my beliefs. I need to read their article to get the truth. Okay, well, wait a minute. Where did most people get their knowledge about dinosaurs? From those publications, from the secular media and the educational system. Well, if all that knowledge is wrong, why should we trust you now when you're telling us that now you're going to tell us the truth? Apparently, everything else you told us before was wrong. So they were kind of tacitly admitting, yeah, we were wrong before, but, but trust us this time. And so yeah. we see that over and over and over with even with the James Webb telescope finding things further out in the in the universe that shouldn't be there, fully uh, mature galaxies, they say they can't be there. Well, according to your narrative, they can't. And so some astronomers are saying, well, maybe the universe is twice as old as we said. Well, they had right. proof it was 13.8 billion years old, and they were so dogmatic, and now they might just double it because things are confusing to them. That just tells you they don't really know. And the thing about science is, it needs to be updated and corrected continually because they keep learning new things. Whereas even though the Bible is God's first shot at writing a book, I think he did a pretty good job and it doesn't need to be corrected. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
Elizabeth, thank you so much. We're going to go to Linda in South Carolina. Uh, folks, Truth and Liberty, uh, Jay Seeger, our guest, we're talking about creation, evolution, truth versus preferences, uh, a lot of worldview issues that play into this discussion. The number is 719-619-2341. Linda, a faithful viewer of Truth and Liberty, we welcome you to tonight's show. Thank you. Very interesting topic. And this is probably a very simple question, but um, it's important to me. I'm going to be teaching Sunday school this Sunday in Genesis chapters 17, 18, and 19, and maybe 20. But um, And my class consists of folks from ages 22 to 92. So the 92-year-old, most likely, like myself, grew up just believing the Bible, just because that's what God's Word says, we believe it, even in school. When science said there's evolution and all these things, we just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. And But now, like this 22-year-old has been brought up in a whole different society and a whole different belief um, system, possibly. So what is really the most important thing that I can really teach to this class about Genesis? Well, that is a great question because that will help a lot of people when they hear an answer, and you're obviously getting my answer. Almost everything that I share when I speak now is focused ultimately on the authority of God's Word. Um, the creation versus evolution topic is pretty significant, but not quite as significant as just the inspiration of God's Word to begin with. And if people want to question the creation account, you have to ask, at what point does God start telling the truth? If you can't quite trust the Genesis stuff, it doesn't mean what it says, it has errors and contradictions, it's fable, it's it's fantasy or whatever. At what point do you get serious? You also have to believe that God inspired Moses to write what we see in Genesis, knowing for most of written history or most of a history period, People would actually believe what was written there, but God would know, I didn't really mean any of that. I really meant a Big Bang billions of years ago, and that life formed from dead chemicals 3.8 billion years ago, and that mankind evolved from an ape-like creature. That's what I really meant, but I know they're going to believe the six-day thing, but eventually they will have modern scientists to help them figure out the truth and realize, I didn't mean any of that. I meant something very, very different. That's a very poor view of God. So do we really, truly trust mm. what God wrote? inspired through these writers, or do we go somewhere else first for our source of authority, and then we turn to God's Word to tell God what He actually meant? And many Christians have to think about that because they typically just take in as a sponge whatever they hear about the Big Bang or evolution or whatever and think, well, that's science. I mean, they, they've proven it, right? Because all the scientists believe it. So they, in their minds, think they need to have that as given truth and then figure out what Scripture might actually mean. We could, we could manipulate it because the Bible is really just about Jesus and faith things and good living. It was never intended us to teach us things about the origin of the universe and things like that. Well, no, the Bible claims to be a history book of all of history. It says, in the beginning. That's the beginning. It covers from the very beginning to eternity. And so... Are we really going to trust God's word, or do we think we know better? And if you think about this, God created Adam and Eve. He gave them a free will. They could choose to honor him as their creator, or they could go their own way if they thought they had a better plan. 
guess what happened? They actually thought they had a better plan. Now, which of us would ever do that? All of us. We always think we, we kind of know better, independent oh, of what God actually said. Astray. Yeah. So I would say in your class, get them to understand the Bible can be trusted cover to cover and absolutely everything it says. And as they have reason to question a portion of it, say, is that one of your biggest questions? If it is, let's tackle it. And don't feel as a teacher, you need to have an immediate answer, make a short list, and then find some great sources. You can go to our website, contact me personally. There are great sources out there where you can get back to them. Was there really one man and one woman? We could talk about that later. There's genetic evidence for that. There's genetic evidence for a flood. There's geological evidence for a flood. All those things are so much evidence for. So get them to understand they can trust the Bible cover to cover. And anytime they think they have a reason to doubt it, they should verbalize that reason and then tackle that issue so they can get back to just flat out trusting God cover to cover. Amen. And Linda, I, I'm so glad you're teaching. I think you said you were going to teach like Genesis 17 and following, uh, you know, with the story of Abraham and Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and the birth of Ishmael and the birth of Isaac. Um, I think those those subjects that you're going to be teaching through, those are key to understanding what's going on in the Middle East and the state of Israel today. And, and so I commend you for not only teaching Genesis and creation, but just the birth of the Jewish people and what Genesis says about all that. Good work. Well, thank you. And that is part of what I was going to talk about on Sunday, because so many people don't really understand why the war is going on um, between Israel and the Palestinians. And so that that definitely goes along with this chapter or these chapters. And so I'm, I'm kind of excited about getting all of these topics covered. Obviously not in one Sunday, but it'll be an ongoing sure. topic, but very helpful information. Well, and I'm anxious to hear uh, what you say about the Grand Canyon because I was just there last month. So I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about the Grand Canyon too. Well, uh, we're going to get some more calls. And Jay, I want to talk about the Grand Canyon. It's, it was my privilege to do an 11-day rafting trip through the Grand Canyon in the year 2014. And uh, let me tell you, that's, that's the, the biggest evidence of a young earth creation that I can think of. But uh, hold tight, everybody. Uh, we're going to go to Chad in Ohio. Alex McFarland here. We're talking with Jay Siegert of The Starting Point project, and uh, we'll give that website too. But Chad, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, so um, today is the uh, 506th anniversary of Martin Luther's uh, 95 Theses. Yeah. And um, one of the major theses that I cling to is Sola Scriptura. And I oh, am friends and work with a lot of Roman Catholics who are, I guess, basically reject Sola Scriptura. And I wondered to know what the tradition versus Scripture, you know, how that schism happened. And also, you know, it, could you explain that a little bit more simply? for me? Well, great, great question. And uh, Jay, you and I haven't talked about this ahead of time, but I, I'm going to let you you start because there, you know, there 
I'll, I'll say this, I'll throw it to you, Jay. There are a lot of things on which we agree. Praise God. Catholics and Protestants would agree that Jesus is deity, the God incarnate, the second member of the Trinity. We would definitely agree on the virgin birth. Jesus had no sin nature. Uh, the resurrection. Um, there, there's a lot that we agree on. And, um, you know, I read 1 John 5, 1, that says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Um, yeah, I hope that all Protestants and all Catholics are all born again. But there, there are some uh, very important theological differences, too, that just can't be ignored. Jay, what, on the basic question, uh, what's the difference between Protestants and Catholics? What's your initial answer, Jay? Well, I'll, I'll be brief, and you can certainly uh, add quite a bit here. When I talk to someone from a different denomination, I try not to be derogatory or disrespectful in any way. I just ask a lot of follow-up questions. And what is it that they're basing truth on? What is the ultimate source of authority? How do they know if something is true? And quick, short version of a story. I stopped out at a place here in Wisconsin. It's called Holy Hill. It's like mm -hmm. a Catholic monastery. Beautiful. I had seen it from a distance for years and years. Finally drove out there with my wife, uh, walked around the grounds. It was beautiful. While I was out there, I decided I'm just going to poke around and ask some questions. So I ended up talking to a monk. And he said, can I help you? And I just said, yeah, we're just walking around the grounds. It's very beautiful here. I said, I just have questions like, how does someone get to heaven? And he kind of wanted to know, why do you want to know? Which surprised me. I thought he'd be pretty excited. But I said, well, I'm just, you know, I'm wondering what, you know, what you believe. I didn't tell him anything about myself. I was just asking wow. questions. And he went through a litany, a list of, well, you know, believe in God, um, you know, believe in Jesus, um, read the Bible, um, you know, go to church, you know, tithe, you know, all. he went through a list and he, you could tell he was straining, like, did I get everything? Mm. And then when he finished, I just said, well, I didn't have my Bible with me, but I just said, well, doesn't first John 5, 11 through 13 talk about he that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son hath not life. And I remember him saying to me, well, I don't think it's that black and white. And I said, well, it certainly seems from scripture if you have the son, you have life. If you have not the son, you do not have eternal life. And then he said, Catholic tradition teaches. And then he went on to say, say some things. Then I brought up another point. I quoted some scripture and he said, but Catholic tradition says, we went back and forth a few times. And I finally said, well, what do you do when it turns out that Catholic tradition seems to veer from what scripture is actually saying? And I'll never forget him saying, we go with tradition. I already mm. knew that, but that's the yeah. point. So when I talk to someone who's a Catholic, I just ask them, what is your ultimate source of authority? And if it's not scripture, if it's scripture, it should be, it's Jesus alone. You can't add anything to it. It's not by works of righteousness, which we've done. It's so clear in Paul's writings and all that it's faith alone, but Catholics tend to say, yes, faith in Jesus plus, and then they add a number of things, which in my mind is not really the same thing. It's not supported by scripture. So then you have to ask them, what is your source of authority? Is it the Pope? Is it the Catholic Church as a whole? Is it your church? Is it your priest? Because often they'll say, well, I don't really, I don't believe that when I tell them what Catholic doctrine is. They say, well, I don't believe that. I said, well, what gives you the authority to disagree with the, the Pope or the church or whatever? So yeah. I'm going to cut myself off there. To me, it gets down to, is it scripture and scripture alone? 
or do we look to history for tradition where they decided, hey, let's veer and let's start adding to that? Yeah. And, and Chad, uh, I, I'm thinking in my mind so many books I could recommend. Let, let me recommend a scholar. Um, you ought to Google his name, who is a, a person I know. His name is Ron Rhodes, and he wrote a book called Reasoning with Catholics from the Scriptures. Um, because, you, you know, it's weird. I Twice, if you, you can believe it, I was invited to do a, a biblical worldview weekend at a Roman Catholic church. This priest called me up. He said, I hear you on the radio. Our kids need what you're teaching. Please come in and uh, do equip our youth and adults to defend the Christian faith. And so I went to breakfast, and this priest, St. Pius X Catholic Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, he said, uh, I'm born again. He said, I know uh, that you give an altar call. So uh, when I hand it off to you, the service is yours. You share the gospel as you see fit and call people to salvation. It was amazing. Uh, and then on the other hand, Jay, I've met uh, folks like your uh, encounter, and they, they didn't know what it meant to be born again. So, uh, Chad, on this Reformation Day, 506 years ago, you're right, one of the great realities of the Protestant Reformation was they got back to Scripture, and you read Scripture, the Word of God, not, not apostolic authority or the Word of man, but the Word of God says to be born again, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we repent, believe who He was and what He did. And let me just say this, we've got a break, so everybody hang on. But if you happen to be watching this tonight, folks, the most important question of life have I been saved? Has there been that moment when I put my faith in Jesus? If you want to make sure, you want to make sure that you're saved, here's a number. Somebody will pray with you tonight. It's 719-635-1111. That's not for questions. That's if you need prayer and you want to make sure you're saved, call us 719-635-1111. We're back after this. We got to stop looking at this word as someday. We got to look at it. it is for now. And the Spirit of God, don't you think is big enough to teach you, to show you how to do things? Stop thinking that one day when I am super spiritual or when I have the money I need. No, start doing what He called you to do right now with the strength you have. So Father, we say yes to that today. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are, and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life. 
Oh, welcome back to the program. It's Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here with our very special guest, Jay Siegert. And by the way, uh, Jay is a great speaker. I heard him in front of a large group of youth last summer. I know he probably would speak to all ages. Uh, Jay, before we get back to the calls, what is your website? And uh, uh, can people book you and schedule you to come to their city? How can people best utilize all that you're doing? Sure. The website is thestartingpointproject.com, thestartingpointproject.com. A lot of great free resources. We recently took all of our DVDs, which are old school, made them streamable, and they're all free. There are a few other videos there, lots of articles that I've written for free, three books that I've written, one on creation and evolution, which I've been told by some of the world's leading scientists. I think it's the best overview that's out there, which I was honored to hear. So there are three books up there. And then we do Grand Canyon tours as well to further talk about the authority of scripture that there really was a worldwide flood. And then speaking, I've been speaking for 38 years, have never charged a penny. We still don't. We do ask the travel expenses be covered to get me somewhere. But once I'm there, there's never a charge for the engagement. So they could get a hold of us through the website as well to talk about a potential speaking engagement. Amen. Amen. And folks, by the way, let me just say this. Truth and Liberty God is using this in so many lives. We have got a great crew. I've got to acknowledge that you can see this stream and hear this video. You can go to the website truthandliberty.net because there's an incredibly committed, talented team of people that, and they know what buttons to push and what cords to plug in to make this happen. It goes out to the world uh, five nights a week. And the gospel is free, but it does take resources to deliver that free message. So here's what I would ask you to do. Consider supporting and going to truthandliberty.net slash donate. If you would give a recurring monthly gift of at least $5, that's, um, that's not a huge start. But the best gift that you can give to help us, because not only do we talk about the gospel, we talk about worldview, but we talk about politics and culture. So it's uh, a ministry that is much needed at these times. And if you would be a participant and support, we'd be very grateful. I do want to say this, folks, and we're going to go back to the calls. Um, what I've been doing this week is working on my schedule for Karis Bible College. And I'm so excited this fall, I'll be on campus at Karis. I'll be teaching speech. I'll be teaching debate. I'll be teaching biblical worldview in the spring, teaching apologetics, defending the Christian faith. And whether you're in pursuit of a degree or just personal enrichment, folks, honestly, I, I get so excited whenever I'm on campus and how I keep up with how God is growing Karis, whether it's business or missions, IT. There's an incredible, literally world-class drama department film production, the School of Practical Government, and then, of course, Biblical Worldview and Apologetics. Uh, uh, this is where I came in. Uh, but uh, check out Karis Bible College, and I give God the glory. Now, listen to this, folks. Brace yourself. The International Christian Visual Media Awards, which is going to be in February, one of our Biblical Worldview training sessions, uh, Andrew and myself and Bishop E.W. Jackson and David Barton, you know, we're doing these, these uh, video um, tutorials. They're like 12 to 15 hours. Um, it's kind of like, you know, uh, a, a, a YouTube video on steroids. Well, the one we did on racism, a biblical worldview response to racism, 
has been nominated for an award uh, for best documentary or series. I give God the glory. Uh, but the team, uh, Greg Moore and Sean O'Hare and some of the incredible people, again, you know, everything is, is Super Bowls are won by teams. And what a great team Andrew has put together. But I, I just want to give God the glory. What am I saying here, folks? The Lord is using all of this. Karis Bible College, Truth and Liberty, the Biblical Worldview Teaching Series. So be a part of this. Get equipped. Be encouraged, folks, because we can be bold. Our message is true. God is using it. As we get closer, uh, just to have been nominated for an award by the International Christian Visual Media Association, that's an honor. If we win, believe me, I'll, I'll let you know about that too. But folks, you can uh, stay with us by bookmarking, telling your friends about truthandliberty.net. And uh, we thank you. We're going to go back to the phones. That number, by the way, is 719-619-2341. My home state of North Carolina, Daryl, thanks for holding. Thank you for watching and welcome to Truth and Liberty. Hey, Alex. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, One of the questions I have is how to best engage students on a college campus. And the reason why I'm asking that is because I'm an evangelist and pastor, and I do ministry on campuses like UNC Chapel Hill and NC State. In fact, I was there today at NC State and uh, was proclaiming the gospel. And, you know, oftentimes we'll run up with these kids that have secular mindset, secular worldview. Or and of course an evolutionary worldview, and uh, in fact today my buddy was preaching and some guy came up and or came walking by. We he did a, what we call a drive by, uh, and, and uh, he questioned my friend's intelligence. Uh, you know because it seems to be that if you're Christian you can't be intelligent. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know the big thing is what's the best way to engage these students with the gospel. Well, that's another great question and something that I've learned, and I've learned a lot over 38 years above and beyond just the facts, is instead of being too quick to try to prove something we believe, we need to initially question the starting point, the worldview, the foundation, the bias of the person who's questioning us, the skeptic. And so anytime I you know, interact with someone, I first ask them, so tell me what it is that you actually believe. So, and you want, you want to stick with the big picture. I call it not being caught in the weeds. Oh, if you're a golfer or a fisherman, you don't want to be caught in the weeds. And the way that can happen is, let's say, I'll just give you a quick scenario. You start talking with someone and they bring up creation evolution and they say evolution's a fact because bacteria become, they evolve resistance to our antibiotics. No, most Christians aren't really familiar with that scenario, what's going on. It sounds kind of technical. How can you possibly respond to something like that when you're not even familiar with it? And it sounds like they're offering some proof of evolution. What are you going to say? So you quick jump in and while I believe in Jesus and you should just trust him, they don't buy that. It doesn't make sense. So what you do is you stay out of the weeds. You say, hold on a second. Um, We can get to what you're bringing up here in a second but I've got some bigger questions first. And they might ask like, what? So here's my quick analogy. Let's say something that everyone can relate to. 
you go to a used car lot and you're looking at a car salesman comes out says can i help you yes i'm looking at this car and he goes hold on a second let me show you something goes around to the passenger side opens the door flips open the glove box and says look look at see in the back of the glove compartment see the bolt that's holding it in place and like i kind of that's the most precisely manufactured bolt on the planet you won't find a better bolt anywhere and you'd be like, uh, I can barely see it. I guess I'd have to take your word for it. But I, I have a few other questions maybe you could help me with first before we get to something like that. And the salesman might be like, like what? Well, before you came out, I was walking around the car and I noticed there aren't any wheels. Then I went in and sat inside. I don't want to complain, but every car I've had prior to this had a steering wheel. This one just has this column sticking out. And then I popped the hood and I noticed there's no engine. But if you can explain how those things will not be an issue for me and I'll still be able to drive the car, then you can get back to telling me about the bolt in the glove compartment. But if you can't answer these other questions, honestly, I don't care about the bolt. So now getting back to the real scenario with antibacterial resistance, <laughs> um, you say, interesting, uh, I have a few other questions first. Like what? Where did stuff come from? matter and energy there's a whole universe here so help me understand if there's no god how did it all get here secondly how did some random process form all the order we see in the universe they call it the cosmos which means order so help me understand the physics behind that then help me understand how do you get dead chemicals on a planet to come together to form a living cell that could reproduce itself then once you have a cell that can copy itself and you get more and more and more and more cells, how does it transition from making a pink and a blue cell, a male and a female, when it's just copying its DNA and now it copies it so that each the pink and the blue one will only contribute half of that genetic information into a protected environment where you can have reproduction continue. You can't do that piece at a time. And then once you have that, how do you tell turn a single-celled organism all the way into a human being, including our brain? We mm -hmm. have a lot more information in our DNA than a single cell does. So what's creating the new information that's required over these millions and millions of years? If you can help un me understand those basic questions, then you can bring up this bacteria thing that you mentioned before. They honestly will not be able to answer at all how you get something out of nothing. How do dead chemicals come together to really become alive? We're not getting closer to an answer on that. We're getting further away because it's becoming more and more complex. You can't explain the pink and the blue thing. I'll skip that for now. And then the information, what creates new information? The only game in town in their mind is mutations. And, uh, and you know, that's not going uh, to create all the information we need. So Let me throw something in. And, and Daryl, by the way, I commend you for going to the college campuses to share the gospel. Um, and frankly, I, I want to have you on sometime to do a whole show on this. But Jay, you mentioned mutations. And uh, I, like you said, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but I've asked this question, and either one of you can respond to this. But, but I've asked young people, um, how did all of this, you know, incredible varieties of life, I mean, you've got butterflies, bunny rabbits, giraffes, marigolds, alligators, hippopotamus. I mean, you've got just endless varieties of life. How did it all come about? And they'll say, well, by gene mutations. And I'll say, okay, so here's a question. When have we ever observed a mutation adding additional information to the genome? Because think about this. If you want fins, because DNA is complex encrypted data, 
If you want fins to, put, to become feathers and feathers to become feet and fingers, you need additional genetic information. Have we ever observed a mutation add additional information to the genome. Now, information can be lost, there can be birth defects, there can be loss of genetic information. But Jay, isn't it fair to say, I mean, if you want different appendages or an entirely different classification of life, if you want some animal to jump phyla from reptile to mammal, that's a whole nother set of genetic instructions, and we've never witnessed mutations do this. Am I, am I right? Right. We'd need whole new biochemical pathways and all that. And the way I say this, I try to be very careful with how I word things, because if we just say mutations cannot create new information, occasionally some scientists think they have observed some, we'll call it a random change, we actually know that some mutations are not random, they're pre-programmed, which is really complex for design, but just call them random copying errors for now. Um, they think that this random copying error gave us something that is novel, it is new. So what I would say is, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe, maybe not, but I'll give you that. We don't need just a little random thing here or there. We need tons. And if you just look at human evolution over a six million year period, you would need at least conservatively speaking, 300 million positive related coordinated changes to change an ape-like creature into a chimp and a human being. They, they have six million years to work with and they need at least 300 million of these things. And I'll skip some of the technical background of this, but there's something called Mendel's accountant, which has shown that even if they had 18 and a half billion years, which is like 3,000 times the amount of time they're asking for, 6 million, even if we gave them 18 and a half billion years, they can only generate 0.00027% of what they need. Mutations aren't going to cut it, nothing. They have no engine to generate the new information they need. Right. And uh, statistically, it's impossible. That, too, is a, a whole nother story. Uh, but one other thing that is worth talking about, uh, Daryl, and Jay, you can speak to this if you would choose to, is, you know, e even if somehow there was a plausible way to talk about the origin of matter or the origin of genetic information, which I don't think naturalism can explain this, but then you've got this enigma of consciousness because the tissue that make up our bodies, you know, we're flesh and bone, but our mind, our consciousness uh, is something completely different. Uh, Jay, is it fair to say that secular science really doesn't have an explanation, not only how, how did the primordial soup develop consciousness? How did mud become mind? And then there's psychologists say individuation. Okay, so I'm, I'm thinking, Jay is thinking, Daryl is thinking, the viewers are thinking, and you and I, we're all different centers of consciousness. So Jay, what, what would the secular world say about the origin of consciousness and individual 8 billion conscious people around the world, not to mention animals, but how do they account for the origin of, of the mind? Ultimately, they don't. They, there's a lot of hand-waving and a lot of thick books, but they say virtually nothing. 
you can't transition particles from banging together to particles that care about other particles. I mean, a true atheist says everything is determined. It's just particles banging together. Everything that happens has to happen, which I told one atheist, then you can't even reject God. You can't choose to reject God. Your particles are banging together a certain way that gives you the impression that God doesn't exist. But then in that same scenario, apparently in your mind, my particles are moving together in such a way that I believe that God does exist. He has a son named Jesus Christ, and I have a personal relationship with him. That's just how my particles are moving. That makes no sense. Particles can never become aware of themselves and have attitudes and opinions, but they believe it must have happened by accident. It makes a lot more sense in the Christian narrative that God created us in such a way that we have a consciousness. Uh, eight, Romans 8, 16, God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. God gave us that so we could understand him and his creation, but a naturalistic view can't even begin to imagine where consciousness came from. Daryl, let me ask you this. As you've been sharing the gospel with college students, what are what are some of the um, most challenging questions that you've heard? Well, I think back of uh, an encounter we had last semester with a young man. Uh, I first had opportunity to speak to him, and he claimed to be an agnostic. And uh, so I went through some of those things that Jay mentioned, uh, particularly honing in on um, you know, the idea, you know, how could nothing create everything? And, you know, talked about DNA and how DNA contained information. And so, you know, the questions that he had uh, were interesting because <clears throat> even though he had these questions, uh, he, he really didn't seem to want a true answer. <laughs> I think that's one of the big things is these a lot of times you you see people out there that have these presuppositions and there, you know, the Romans one talks about the fact that what can be known of God is evident in creation, but because of man's unrighteousness, they choose to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so I think that's probably, you know, the biggest question or the biggest issue that I've faced um, when it comes to dealing with folks on a campus like that. Uh, you know, so I would say that would probably be the biggest challenge. Do, do they even really want to know what truth is? Yeah, Jay. What what do you what do you say about that? That um, that people just aren't necessarily seeking truth nor Jesus Christ. Oh, what do you have to say about that, Jay? Well, as a Christian, we live in a box, meaning we have to go with whatever God's word says, and God's word says, as was referenced in Romans chapter one, God has put plenty of evidence just in nature, so much so that mankind is without an excuse, but some have chosen to reject that knowledge, not because of their superior intellect, but because of their own unrighteousness. They don't want it to be true, and God says, okay, I'm not going to force you to believe in me, but if you do reject me, there are consequences, and the rest of Romans chapter 1 goes through that. Quick, very short story that's very powerful. Last summer, I was speaking over in Oxford in London, and there was an evangelist from Northern Ireland there. And he told me a story of he was witnessing to a nuclear physicist who was an atheist. The nuclear physicist told him, because I don't believe that God exists. The evangelist said, no, you know God exists, but you hate him. You love your sin and you fear God's wrath. The nuclear physicist responded by saying, you are the wisest man I've ever met. 
So you mm. got me. That's what it's not the science. It's a heart issue. So more and more when I talk to skeptics, I let them know if you want to talk about DNA, that's fine. But I don't think that's going to get us anywhere. This is a heart issue. And until you're willing to deal with that, probably not going to get anywhere. Wow. Wow. God bless you, Daryl. Listen, uh, we, we need to have you on and do a show on personal evangelism. But uh, right now, folks, we have time for another question or two. 719-619-2341. Um, Jay, you'll appreciate this. Um, I was in Kingsport, Tennessee to speak at uh, Eastman. Well, no, to speak at uh, East Tennessee State University. And I met a lady at Eastman Chemical. Now, some of you, you might remember Kodak, the photography company. Well, there, there was a time, I guess, before digital photography that there was a lot of chemicals that went along with, you know, photography and developing pictures. Anyway, Eastman uh, of Kingsport, Tennessee, there was a big chemical company there, and now it's just called Eastman Chemical. But I met a lady, Jay, who is like the head chemist and I actually interviewed her. She was, this was just uh, about a year and a half ago, but she got the position and she is over like 18,000 scientists. Um, and when she was hired in her role, because um, Eastman Chemical, they've got these glass lined vats. They make a lot of different types of acids, very uh, sensitive stuff. And it's maybe the biggest chemical facility in the world that makes some very specialized chemicals. Anyway, the, the man that had preceded her had been there for like four or five decades. And so there was a worldwide search and they had over 3,200 applicants. Now imagine 3,200 applicants, the top chemists in the world, and this lady got hired. So without uh, overstating it, I mean, one of the most esteemed chemists in the, in the world, right? Well, there was a lady that invited her to church, and she went just to, um, I guess, to be nice, but she became a born-again Christian. This chemist, over 18,000 other scientists, uh, six-day young earth creationist, and I, I asked her, and she had an amazing testimony, but uh, part of what convinced her that there was a design and they mu there must be a designer was that water expands when it freezes. And she had a very long technical uh, talk about why that got her attention. But she became a born again Christian and, um, you know, is there to this day. And we ought to have her on the program. But my point is just because someone has multiple graduate degrees, just because someone may be a PhD and legitimately be a, a working scientist, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're an atheist. That doesn't mean that they are too smart, quote unquote, to believe in God or his word. There are in all of the disciplines, and in fact, in some of the highest positions in the world, there are true scientists that do believe in God, creation, and what the Bible says, aren't there, Jay? Oh, yeah, a lot of brilliant scientists, and and science doesn't work by consensus. They don't get together to say, I vote on this, and we, if enough people say yes, then it becomes true. No, it has to stand on its own. And so if it was just an academic debate, all the scientists would get together, and they'd agree, and we'd be done. But you've got world's leading scientists that are atheists. You've got world's leading scientists that are Christians. Um, I'm also president of a group called Logos Research Associates, 
It's actually the world's largest consortium of scientists who are biblical creationists. And the founding member, the guy who started it all, he was the first president, Dr. John Sanford. He's famous for having invented the gene gun, inserts genes into the DNA. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a professor at Cornell University. He was an atheist for much of his life, now a very strong Christian. And then just one other, Dr. John Baumgartner, PhD mm -hmm. geophysicist. He's built the world's best 3D computer simulation of plate tectonics, just off the charts brilliant. Even secular geologists use that model to see how plates are moving. So brilliant, brilliant scientists. Some are Christians, some are atheists. So it's more than just the academics. This is ultimately a heart issue. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Grand Canyon. Um, in what way, Jay, is the Grand Canyon uh, visible proof of the biblical model of creation? Sure. Well, if you keep it really simple and short for now, um, the Bible says, primarily Genesis 6 through 8, there was a worldwide flood. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's written as historical narrative. It says it actually happened. Okay. If that event actually happened, a worldwide flood, what would we expect to see? Well, we really should expect to see uh, sedimentary layers that were laid down by water all over the planet, and it would look like they were laid down catastrophically because it was a flood, and they would probably contain lots of fossils because things that were living, some of them would have gotten buried. That's what you should see if that event actually happened. When you go to the Grand Canyon, it's one of the best places on the planet to see those evidences. And I think God in his sovereignty allowed it, the canyon to be right where it is. There are other canyons around the planet. In fact, there are about 300 canyons. Some of them are much bigger over in the Himalayas. There's one 3.3 miles deep. That's three times deeper than the Grand Canyon. But the one in the U.S. is so convenient for everyone to see. So when we take people to the Grand Canyon, we say, what is it we're seeing here? Well, there's three major features. Number one, the horizon just seems flat everywhere you look. Why is that? And then you notice a big gouge in the ground. That's the canyon. And then because there's a gouge in the ground, you notice there are all these layers. So on our trips, we explain why is it flat all around? Why is there a groove in the earth here? And why are all these layers here? And we point back to the authority of God's word. There was a worldwide flood. And we explain how the canyon was actually the layers and the canyon were formed by the global flood, Genesis 6 through 8. There's so much geologic evidence for that. And people get so fired up in their faith that they can trust the Bible, even though, quote, silly flood story, it's not silly at all. There's so much evidence that it happened, which gives people more confidence in Scripture in general, which helps them in sharing the gospel message, which is the most important thing. Amen. Well, and, and folks, listen to this, and uh, we've only got a couple of minutes, but uh, this is worth pointing out. You know, they'll say that uh, the Grand Canyon or the, the Paladura Canyon in Texas or other canyons, you know, over millions of years eroded. But yet when I was there, I spent 11 nights in the Grand Canyon on a rafting trip. We hiked a, a mile down this side tributary, and the walls of this side you know, gash, look just like the layers in the rest of the canyon, and yet they know that this tributary on the side was carved in 24 hours during a major flood in the 1950s. And so clearly, and, and you know, Jay, there were some old earth 
millions of years, guys. And we hike down this thing. And then when the, the guy doing this lecture, he said, by the way, the walls of this canyon, indistinguishable from the walls of the main canyon. And yet there was photographic evidence. This was carved in just a day in a big flood during the 50s. I mean, it, it's worth pointing out that uh, the, those of us that are what we call young earth creationists, there's compelling evidence on this side as well, isn't there? There's tons of evidence. Um, and, and it's exciting to be able to show that to people because we do very family-friendly tours. We're walking on a flat paved path on the South Rim. We take a bus to get down to the river and we're doing smooth sailing on the raft. We see petroglyphs, we see dinosaur tracks. We go to the beautiful wavy Antelope Canyon, get to see a lot of things in a short period of time, like a Thursday night through a Sunday afternoon. But yeah, pointing out those evidences that rivers don't carve vertical walls. The canyon are vertical walls. Rivers, if they do take sediments down, they dump them off at the end called a delta. Well, the Grand Canyon is 900 cubic miles of sediment. Where's the delta for that? It's not at the end of the river. The river didn't carve the canyon. The canyon created the river. After it was washed out catastrophically, remaining water is flowing through it. That's the Colorado River. If we point all those things out as to why the layers were laid down catastrophically in a short period of time, simple things to see and understand. Again, not to go home and win an argument about the flood, but to go home fired up in your faith, ready to share the gospel. Wow. Jay Seeger, give your website before we run out of time. Sure, thestartingpointproject.com. Again, free resources there. You can also contact us for speaking engagements. And then we're going to be posting very soon uh, four or five dates for Grand Canyon tours for next year. So if you want to go on a Grand Canyon family-friendly tour next year, uh, watch the website. If you sign up for our free email newsletter, you will be alerted instantly when the dates come out so you can jump on it before the uh, the tours fill up. Well, Jay, thanks for the work you're doing, folks. Thanks for watching Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarlane here saying thanks to this incredible crew who helps this show go out. And tell people, spread the word. Tell your friends about truthandliberty.net, truthandliberty.net, and go to truthandliberty.net slash donate and financially be invested. And together, for the glory of God, we can see this world changed. May God bless you. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.